have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! What's up, everybody? You're listening to the FanWolves.pod. Chamram Chandran here with you, joined by Yash Joshi and Rohan Narajan on yet another NBA podcast. This is the second week uh, of the NBA podcast, I guess, since the season has started. And the Warriors are obviously still the best team in the NBA, and rightfully so. They've been playing like it. But we have a new number one in the Eastern Conference, which is where we're going to start, the Washington Wizards. I guess like this really does come as a surprise to a lot of people, unless you are a Wizards fan, maybe. Like after that Westbrook trade went down, I'm sure a Wizards fan was like, oh, this is a new era. You know, we're going to do something great with it. So I guess it is what it is. They went more for... I guess the they got the quality and the quantity of guys in the Westbrook deal, quite frankly, because Westbrook's really not looking like a quality player off play. But what do you guys think? They've won three straight. They're eight and three right now sitting atop the Eastern Conference. I think the Wizards are honestly one of the biggest surprises this season. The question is, are they for real? And I don't think we have a legitimate answer to that right now. Bradley Beal, for example, hasn't looked like Bradley Beal from last year and somehow they're a better team, like Kyle Kuzma, Spencer Dinwiddie, Montrezl Harrell, all their off-season acquisitions have played amazingly. Rui Hachimura is better, Denny of Diaz taking a step forward. So I think this team, if they can continue to gel together, they have a lot of depth. And if they continue to share the ball like they have, I think they can make some noise in the East. I'm not saying that they're gonna be the one seed for much longer because there are a lot of better teams in that conference, like for example, the Bulls, the Nets, the Bucks that we'll get to probably in, um, later on in this podcast. But something to look out for as of right now, the Wizards do have the second easiest schedule remaining for the rest of the season. Obviously that could change depending on how teams shake out because strength of schedule is determined by opponents win percentage. So if some teams like tank or some teams go on win streaks, that strength of schedule will change. But as of right now, I'm a Wizards fan. I'm enjoying the start to the season. And and once Bradley Beal gets hot or he starts playing like even similar to what he did last year, this Wizards team could be, you know, one of the dark horse teams to make some noise in the Eastern Conference. No, yeah, you're definitely right. I think Bradley Beal hasn't looked like himself offensively, but honestly, defensively, I've been watching some of his, uh, you know, some film of the Wizards of late, and he's honestly looked a lot better on defense. Like, we know he's a below-average defender. Um, He's also been taking less three-pointers this season so far, which is kind of weird, even though the overall attempts are uh, just slightly less than his career average. But compared to last year's, it's a pretty big downfall. But I think his defense is really helping. The Wizards' defense overall is fifth ranked in the league right now, but last year they were 20th ranked. So that's a big reason for why they're winning. You know, like you said, like Denny, KCP, Gafford, Harrell, especially like I say Harrell and KCP are pretty good defenders. So that's a big part of that. Um, Also, I noticed that they have a slower pace than last year. Last year they were, they had the fastest pace in the league, probably because of how Westbrook plays. You know, he's just a very up and down guy. We know how explosive he is. But now they're only at 14th pace. So maybe, you know, they settle down their offense. They're able to, like, look around, make more passes, you know, play more as a team. You know, that's what I think so far. And that's been a big difference in their wins thus far. I don't know if they're legit. I honestly don't know. But these two things, the pace and the defense, are something to look at. Yeah, I think that this question still remains for everyone. Like, is this team for real? And I think that Yash pointing out the fact that this team – has the second easiest schedule going forward like that speaks a lot in the nba because when a team gets hot when you get hot and you got an easy schedule too that should translate to wins quite frankly you know down the stretch and this wizards team they could make the playoffs and like by no means would i think they're going to be the number one seed not even top five seed quite frankly when everything is said and done but the fact that they will sneak into the playoffs and they have depth is pretty scary. But, you know, going back to this whole trade that happened in the offseason, you know, Kyle Kuzma and Montrezl Harrell specifically, they're paying, you know, the most dividends in that trade. Like, Harrell is averaging around 17 points per game and shooting 63% alongside nine boards. So he's looking great. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie as well, averaging nearly 16 points a game. But one thing that I did want to point out, which is really crazy, is Russell Westbrook is averaging more turnovers than Kyle Kuzma, KCP, and Montrezl Harrell combined. He's averaging 5.1 turnovers per game, and those three combined are averaging 4.2. So, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about they didn't just get the quantity of guys, they 
also got the quality because this helps the team build around Bradley Beal, who is indubitably your number one scoring option at all times. And Spencer Dinwiddie in that secondary role alongside Harrell as well. So this team can seriously make a run, like at least they're looking like a second round exit to me right now, which just says a lot about the Wizards. I don't, I don't want to turn this into a Russell Westbrook dash session session again for the second straight podcast, but like you have to think about this. He was on the Wizards last year and they were a playing team. You take him off and now the Wizards are first in the conference and you put him on the Lakers. And I know they had struggled last year because of injuries, but now the Lakers with third easiest schedule in the league are struggling with Russell Westbrook. So clearly, like we mentioned, Russell Westbrook is a problem. He's a cancer on these teams and this is proving it. If the Wizards somehow make a big push, and I know Sham just said he's he don't he doesn't expect them to be top five, but you know somehow some way if the Wizards do show up and be top five in the Eastern Conference, this says just as much about Russell Westbrook than it does about the Washington Wizards. And it's time to accept that Russell Westbrook is not an elite basketball player. He's not even a good basketball player anymore. The things that he does positively are fully negated by the mistakes that he makes, the dumb things that he does. And I think the Wizards are so much better having quality players that know how to play around Bradley Beal and let him do his thing. And that's why they're in this position. I think they can continue to rattle off some wins, hopefully get hot, and then, you know, sneak into the playoffs in some of these middle-of-the-pack teams. Yeah, I mean, not much for me to say there. I think, you know, I'll get to my Westbrook analysis slash slander later. But, you know, obviously it's been great for the Wizards so far. Um, and I think Yash hit it right on the spot. Like it's becoming more of a team game for them right now. And they seem to be really flowing. You know, Kuzma surprisingly has been playing really well and I'm a very big Kyle Kuzma criticizer. So, you know, shout out to him. He's doing his thing. And, uh, I think defensively, if they can keep this up, it's going to be a big, 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 uh, positive for them because, you know, last year they were pretty bad defensively. And I think that if they can keep that up, they can make some noise in the East for sure. No, certainly, you know, going off what you just said about the defense, like their defense, they, I think they have the best defense, like against three pointers, like opposing teams. So they're like the opponents are only shooting around 32.8% from three, which is the lowest percentage in the league against the Wizards. At the same time, though, you have to think like how many threes are they attempting and are they just kind of getting lucky with it and showing up in at least the first, what, 10, 11 games right now. It just, it just kind of, gets me thinking about hey you know when you go and see a warrior team or something shouldn't be on the arc they're not scared to pull the trigger so they're gonna have some issues down the stretch of there which is why i believe they're gonna be in the outside looking in for the top five seeds but teams that i'm not surprised are you know up there i think especially is the chicago bulls the chicago bulls were a team that i think all three of us have been advocating for in terms of like they're going to be making noise they're going to be great and it honestly makes me really happy to see this team up here because they have they have just as good as a team. I mean, actually a better team, quite frankly. But what I'm trying to say is that they have a team, though. You know, Zach Levine is probably your top scoring option, your most lethal scoring option. But DeMar DeRozan is kind of like it's kind of turning like a 1A, 1B thing. And Lonzo Ball there is just literally making this team, quite frankly, a cheat code. And I genuinely I know it's so premature to say all this stuff, but I feel bold today. I'm going to go ahead and say that the Bulls have the ability to make a conference finals run this year. I personally don't even think that that's that bold. I mean, as Sham said, they have a 1A, 1B scoring option, and that's as close as it gets. DeMar DeRozan is averaging 26.0 points per game, and Zach Levine is at 25.9. So they're both right there. Lonzo Ball is shooting 45% from three. Um, Alex Caruso is shooting 40% from three. So their role players are playing the rules perfectly. Their stars are scoring. They're passing the ball. The only thing I have to like kind of knock on the Bulls is that Nikola Vucevic, their starting center, he's he's been struggling to start the season. And now that he tested positive for COVID-19, I think yesterday or two days ago, he's out for the next 10 days at a minimum. So that's definitely going to hurt them. And they're going to have to find someone to start in that place, maybe Derek Jones Jr. If they start small ball with Ayo Dosunmo or Tony Bradley, we'll see how it goes. But they're going to have to figure out how to take that Nikola Vucevic um the fact that he's out and figure out what they're going to do for the next 10 games. But other than that, scoring wise, defense wise, this team really looks good. So I would not be surprised if they make it to the Eastern conference finals one bit. 
And definitely Vucevic has been, you know, the low point for this team. But other than that, they've been phenomenal. I think, uh, you know, the commentator for the Bulls, Stacey King, has dubbed the Lonzo to Levine slash DeRozan connection as Kai Slamajama, which is basically a front of uh, back when the University of Houston, when Hakeem played, they used to call them five Slamajama because of just how many times they would dunk the basketball. And if you watch the Bulls now, like, it's just constant alley-oops. They're just an extremely fun team to watch. Honestly, I think that Lonzo is fitting in perfectly with this team. I think he's finally hitting his stride as the player who, you know, his dad thought he would be as, you know, the, the reason the Lakers drafted him at three, you know, he's finally getting to that place and he's in a perfect spot here in Chicago. Um, honestly, DeMar Rosen has turned back the clock, bro. Like, what is this? This dude's dropping like 35 points every other night. I'm shocked. It seems like he's back in Toronto. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's having this kind of resurgence. I've always been a big DeMar fan. Like he, he just seems like a, he's a very likable guy. And I think that, you know, this team is gelling together at the right time. I just don't know if they're going to have, you know, I don't want to say, I don't, I don't want to be like, oh, playoff experience matters, but I think to a point it really does. And then come playoff time, you know, they might, you know, put up a good fight in a series, but I see them falling short. Like, you know, you and Yash and Shams said, um, but conference finals is not, you know, out of reach for this team at all. Like they have every ability to do so. No, certainly. And you know how you were saying like how this team is just honestly, like, I, I don't really know what to say about the Bulls just yet in terms of, cause they've only, they've, they did lose, I believe to the Sixers, which was kind of interesting, but they did beat the Nets as well. So like, again, this team, it's extremely exciting to watch this team work. Like, cause when they go nuclear, like they all go nuclear, which is like absolutely absurd. And the fact that you have to worry about every single guy on the floor is what makes this team so, so dangerous. But, you know, moving on to the Wait, Nets. Just, re- just, just real quick, I just want to mm-hmm. tell you guys a stat. This is the first time the Bulls have been over 500 at any point during the season since March 2017. That's a, that's kind of a crazy stat, bro. I didn't think that that's actually that. insane. Why? Yeah. Since yeah. March 2017. Ga- Wait, just one game over 500? I have been over 500 at any point during the season. So for the that's... last four years, almost uh, three and a half years. That's ridiculous. Um, that's that's Jimmy embarrassing Bo- for Jimmy, Jimmy Butler was on the team when, when they were over 500, so it's pretty crazy. Wow. That's – I don't know. I mean, that, that's crazy. Honestly, again, it comes by no surprise. Like, I'm, I'm honestly not going to worry too much about, like, teams like, you know, like the Cavaliers up here in the top five or, like, you know, the Raptors have looked pretty solid recently. Of course, you know, Rohan, huge Scotty Barnes advocator per se – um, for the most part, he's like great. The Bucks down there, that's really nothing too much to read into. But I think the Nets and the Sixers, those are two teams to obviously keep an eye on, like just looking at how they play down the stretch. Because again, the Nets, even though they're renowned as this team, they're like, oh, they're going to win the championship. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Again, got to keep in mind, Kyrie's still not there. Probably won't be there for the entire season, which is pretty crazy to think about. But you know, the way that they lost the Bulls, because I was watching that game specifically, I was just like, wow, like this team, like in a best of seven series, it sounds crazy. I know it's premature still, but it's like, it's like if it's this type of version of Harden and Durant where they just kind of fumble the bag down the stretch, like this Bulls team can literally just eliminate anyone, quite frankly. But on the Sixers, though, Ben Simmons obviously still gone, still not there, but Tyrese Maxey has looked absolutely phenomenal. So is Seth Curry you know, all these guys, but he's had back-to-back 30-point games, and right now he's averaging 17.1 points per game, and he's shooting. His splits are 51, 38, 87. So potential most improved player of the year coming in? I absolutely think so. I think Tyrese Maxey is showing us the reason why the 76ers didn't want to trade him for James Harden last year, and by no means am I comparing him to James Harden on on his level yet but he is showing up and showing out when Ben Simmons is out he has been the scoring option for the Sixers for the past few games I think he had back-to-back 30-point games as well so if he can continue this the Sixers honestly may not even need Ben Simmons they could trade him for like a few assets that would really add on to the team that they already have and make a push because you have to remember that Ben Simmons is such a valuable asset as much as we want to you know knock on him for the stuff that's happening off the court His basketball skill is there. Everyone knows it. It's just the off-court abilities and the shooting. 
But if they traded him, they could absolutely get maybe one, two, even three role players that could fit very well alongside Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, Seth Curry, Tobias Harris, and the rest of that team. And if they are able to do so before the trade deadline and hopefully try to get something for Ben Simmons, or maybe even if Ben Simmons comes back, this team can look very dangerous. And it would be no shock to me if they're actually one of the top three seeds in the Eastern Conference like they were last year because they're such a good regular season team. But the question will come back. How are they going to perform in the playoffs? Because we know how that went last year. But, you know, that was a certain somebody's fault. And depending on how he does, they, they might be better without him. Yeah, I mean, the Sixers have looked pretty good. Obviously, they have, they've had injuries about Joel Embiid and Andre Drummond. So, you know, they haven't had their full lineup there. Continuously, obviously, Tobias Harris was dealing with a Danny Green, too. So, you know, they're banged up to a point. Um, but Tyrese has looked a lot better, I think, because Joel Embiid's not there. Tyrese is able to handle the basketball more. And because of that, he's getting more volume score. He's a good defender. You know, he had multiple steals on OG Ananobi. And OG Ananobi is a very good player, obviously. We, we know that, especially defensively, too. So, I mean, not really much to say about the Sixers. I think they're, they're doing what we thought they would do. They're like a two, three seed in the East right now. And I think that if they continue, obviously the big question for the last, whatever, what is it now? Six months has been, what are they going to do? About, what are they going to do about Ben Simmons? And now Ben Simmons um, through his agent, Rich Paul is saying that being on the seven Sixers is affecting his mental health. So, you know, at this point, like, I feel like it just looks bad on the 76. I mean, I don't know whether he's capping or not. Honestly, like, it's like hard to tell, but if he's telling the truth, like it looks bad on the 76ers to not trade him because if it's if it's actually taking a toll on his mental health and he just doesn't have the confidence to play basketball in the city of Philadelphia, the 76ers just need to trade him at this point. I think that we've been clamoring about that for so long now. Um, you know, there's reports about a Jalen Brown possible trade, which I think honestly could be really good for the Celtics because I think that Ben Simmons would fit in really well. I don't I like I've said this before. I don't know if Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, as good of players as they are, I don't know if they fit together well. I think that Ben Simmons on the Celtics could be interesting, but I mean, I don't know if that's the conversation from another day. Hell no. Let's have that conversation right now for God's sakes. You're telling me, you're telling me the Celtics would be a better team with Ben Simmons there. Like, see, it's different. I, if you, it's different, it's different if you're talking about the fit that I can get on board with because I understand Tatum, just make him the indubitable number one option, and I get it. But Jalen Brown is an absolute baller. He's I think he's the same age as Ben Simmons, if not younger. And He's cheaper and he plays way better. So for the if that trade ever happens, I don't care what the Sixers give up, whatever it is, the Sixers win that trade by far, like not even close. Like you're pairing Jalen Brown up, spot up shooter, primary scoring option with Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, who's like still a top three big in the league, quite frankly, Seth Curry, like this team, the Sixers, I think the Sixers and the Bulls, just based on roster and what they would have at that point, like those two would be my frontrunners in the East, quite frankly, because the Nets, again, they just don't have the depth. And it's like there comes a certain breaking point for me when I'm like Kevin Durant, James Harden, that's not going to cut it anymore. Right. So when you when you say that, like, like, hell no, like I just genuinely do not believe that Ben Simmons, Jalen Brown, like it's even at all like in any, in any universe, quite frankly, depending on whatever team it is, because even though Ben Simmons would maybe thrive in Boston, it just would not translate to wins. I mean, we're seeing it right now. Like the, the Celtics aren't winning games. You know, it's one night Jason Tatum goes off the next night, Jalen Brown goes off. It's like, they can never have consistently two good games together. And, you know, Tatum has been struggling. He's shooting like, I think 39% from the field, something atrocious like that. Honestly, they've been off to a really slow start. And I think that I mean, I honestly don't think the Ben Simmons, Jalen Brown trade is even, you know, going to happen. Like, I don't think the talks even are going to materialize to that point. Um, so, I mean, I don't it's, it's kind of a hypothetical discussion, but I think that Ben Simmons just defensively and his passing ability would be really good for someone like Jason Tatum and kind of take the pressure off of him as like, you know, he, I feel like him and Jalen Brown are always not fighting for the ball, but it just seems like they're two volume scorers who maybe could be better separately, but I don't know. It's tough. It's tough to tell right now because they're losing so many games. I don't know if Ben Simmons is a perfect fit on the Celtics, but what I do know is that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown 
they have to be separated. They, they can't coexist on the same team as isolation players. Like Marcus Smart said that they, they need to learn how to pass the ball. And he said that publicly. So you know that the level of conversation they've had in the locker room behind the scenes with their coaches, with the rest of the team, telling Jason, telling Jalen, you guys need to pass the ball, get the rest of the team involved. And we all know Jason Tatum's bag is one of the deepest in the NBA, but at the same time, it's not translating to wins. They had that kind of lucky Eastern Conference run, I think, in the bubble that was. But it's showing us now that that might have been a fraud run as well, like a lot of teams were in the bubble. So they have to show us that they can succeed together. And honestly, this might be like a very hot take, but I think the Celtics might be better off giving away Jason Tatum instead of Jalen Brown. I'm not saying for Ben Simmons. I agree. I agree. I I agree. I'm not saying they have to give it up for Ben Simmons, but I think Jalen Brown is a better shooter. He's a better scorer. And he, yes. he's better at passing. Jason Tatum is a very isolation-heavy player. Yes. And I think Jason Tatum would thrive in a situation where you have shooters around him, but you need Jason Tatum to do everything for you. But when you have someone like Jalen Brown, who's also averaging 25, it just it doesn't work for both of them. So the Celtics have a decision to make, and I don't know if they're going to make it because they just don't want to give it up or give no. one of those players up. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, like the fact that Yash is coming with such a hot take and I agree with him. I'm like, yes, I'm like, yes, Yash, we're on the same goddamn page for once. But but it's so true. Like, like the reality of it is I'm a I'm I'm a very right now player, like like in terms of like in terms of like when I am looking at the game, I'm like, who do I want right now? You get what I'm saying? Like a lot of people like, for instance, Paul George is an example. Like right now, he is playing great basketball. Right now, he is a top five, arguably top 10. Sorry, my bad. A top 10, arguably top five NBA player right now in the league, just based on right now. Right now, Jalen Brown is more important to the team than Jason Tatum. Based on what we're seeing this year, just based on shooting splits, all that stuff. And keep in mind, there's a new head coach there. There's a new head coach. I'm not saying that this team has changed by any means because Brad Stevens is... Believe me, Brad Stevens is probably secretly coaching this team still. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's behind the scenes. He's definitely giving input. He's like, he's telling the coach, he's like, look, this is what this guy's good at. This is what that guy's good at. They have Al Horford back. He knows how to use him. Not that that is even remotely relevant to translating into wins. But you get what I'm saying. Like, it is what it is. And based on what Yash was saying, too, when you have two great stars, it's like, it's like you don't want to give them up. But it's the NBA. It's sports. Everyone is available for the right price and the reality of it the reality of it which is pretty crazy is even though Jalen Brown statistically is better this year Jason Tatum's name holds weight to it meaning when you hear Jason Tatum they're like oh that's better really it's not but I think that they would get a haul for him and the thing is like again based on this is like all what Yash was saying earlier Jason Tatum is such an isolation player and he's great but does that translate to wins it's like it's I'm not going to compare him to Russell Westbrook. What I'm trying to say is that sometimes some players are better off alone to carry a team. And that's just how they are. So I don't know. I just, but, but going back to the Jalen Brown, Ben Simmons trade, like, hell no, that's not going to happen. I just don't think that it would, it would make sense for the Celtics to do that. Just to throw something absolutely wild out there. How would y'all feel about a Damian Lillard for Jason Tatum plus other things trade Jason Tatum on the, on the uh, Trailblazers, and then Damian Lillard on the Celtics with Jalen Brown. And I know you have two point guards already with Dennis Schroeder and Marcus Smart. You would probably give one just, of them up. No, no, no. Just, just put Dennis, no, send Dennis Schroeder back. To, just screw it. Throw him in there. In but the I, think, I think Damian Lillard and Jalen Brown could absolutely do work in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. I think that's a very good 100%. pairing. 100%. And Both of them are Cali boys, too. Yeah. If, if I'm the Celtics, I'm – I'm considering that if Damian Lillard says that he wants out, I know we're, we're going to talk about the Blazers maybe later, but yeah. that could be a call that Brad Stevens will make almost immediately, hopefully. I don't know. Brad Stevens is pretty high on both Jalen Brown and Jason. He's said multiple times that he's not going to separate the two. I mean, I like I said, I think that one of them should go. You know, like I agree with you guys. I don't know if I agree that Jason Tatum should be the one who leaves, but I just think it's very unlikely. I mean, it's fun to talk about, but it's just very unlikely that he even – picks up a call about either of the two unless I mean maybe for Jalen Brown but I think even Jason Tatum it's just so out of there like it's just hard it's hard for you know Brad Stevens or any Boston executive 
any Boston fan to think like, yo, what could our team be without Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown? Just because they've been cornerstones for this team for the last five, four or five years now. You know, it's just, and they're, and they're very good players. It's just a very tough decision to make. But at the same time, like if I'm thinking like, oh, what's my team like without them? It's because what am I going to get? And when a guy like Damian Lillard's available, like, like, hell yeah, I'm sure Boston fans will make their peace with it. They'll, they'll cry about it for the first week. They'll be like, crap, I miss Tatum. But Dame, there's no way that Dame wouldn't produce the same amount, if not better. And the thing about Damian Lillard is that he's proven to be a very unselfish player. And he always wants to go this route of not creating a super team. That's not creating a super team. It's not like he's teaming up with Tatum and Jalen Brown. It's a swap. And Honestly, I mean, I, I, lo- I love that trade offer, honestly, Ash. Like, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty solid trade offer. I, w- I would take it for so, both sides. It makes sense for both sides. So I, I, I like the point that Rohan made that Brad Stevens doesn't want to break them up. So what would the Celtics have to do to kind of force Brad Stevens' hand? Do you think if they miss the playoffs this year, is that enough? I don't, I don't think, I don't even think it's about the Celtics exactly forcing his hands. It's about, it's about, um, what's I'm Odoku, right? That's the head coach right now. Yeah. I'm Odoku. My bad. Um, it's about, it's about him taking charge of the team. Like he needs to, if he feels, yeah. Sorry, Sean, I don't mean to cut cut you up. I I just think that since it's his first year, there's not going to be any big changes unless someone like Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal becomes available. And they're just so they make, the Portland makes a, an offer like you can't turn down. Well, what the but, what the crazy part about Bradley Beal, if he does become available, is because Jason Tatum has talked to Beal about teaming right. up. And best believe, best believe, if Beal is available, Tatum's not going to be the one going out. It will not be happening. Yeah. That I mean, will not be happening. Based on the way the Wizards are playing, I feel like Beal may be out of the question at this point just because they're so good. That is true. They I don't, don't think they're the first seed. The yeah, first I don't seed. think <laughs> Beal wants to leave the first seed, right? I mean, yeah, if they lose 20 games in a row from now then we might have a very different conversation but as of right now Damian Lillard is probably more on the table than Bradley Beal is no for sure for sure that makes sense and it's really interesting I mean I guess now we could transition to the Western Conference a bit speaking on the Blazers and Damian Lillard apparently several execs believe that the Blazers are trying to create leverage for the organization because right now teams just want Dame like obviously rightfully so but they don't want CJ McCollum and they don't want, you know, Yusuf Nurkic or whatever either. So basically it's kind of just, it's kind of just come down to this thing that they're trying to sell their other guys when execs are really just waiting for Dame to possibly request out. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but it's never ending buzz in the NBA right now. The Blazers are the 10th spot in the West. So I believe that's the bottom of the plans. They're obviously going to improve. I, I honestly have them finish. Obviously, I was very premature in my preseason rankings. I went completely bold <laughs> and out overall. the ceiling. Second I had them overall. bold out the ceiling. I mean, it's not even that. It was like, it was more of like, I mean, yeah, like I did, I did say that they had the potential to be up there, but still we are only, what, 10 games, 11 games into the season. By no means do I think this team should be finishing in the top five. So completely cold take by me over there. But, but at the same time, they should be, I think, in the six, seven, eight range and could have a plan. They could fall into the plan. But if not, I would not be surprised if the team is right above the plan spot. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I don't, I don't really have too much else to say on the Blazers, quite frankly. Yo, it's, it's, it's chaos in Portland right now. Like the president, uh, Chris McGowan, just resigned today, you know, based off of the uh, Neil O'Shea investigation, the GM of the Portland Trailblazers. So, you know, there's a lot going on there. Dame is complaining about how the officiating is. He says that it's, what is it? He said unacceptable. What did he say? Yeah. He's like, yeah. Absolutely unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. Like, bro, grow up. Like, this is, you've been getting these calls for years of you just jumping into people. And like, now you're complaining. Like, it's just the most ridiculous thing. Obviously, like, he's shooting terrible. Like, Yash was mentioning before we recorded, like, something like 25% from three. Uh, You know, I mean. I don't know. I don't want to say it, but we were talking about it off, off, uh, off recording. And we were like, yo, is it time to be like, is Dame still that guy? Like, is he, is he, is he still the same guy that he's been for the last two, three years of like a very elite player who can carry you to the playoffs? Like, I think it's time to have that conversation off of the way he's been playing these last 12 games and just how he hasn't really adjusted to the rules yet. Yeah. Rohan took the words out of my mouth. Like, I think it's been 12 games 
officially into the season, which is 15% out of the 82. So, you know, it's not as terribly large sample size, but it's nothing to scoff at either. And at this point in the season, Damian Lillard is still shooting 25% from three, which is, which is shocking to me. I think we have kind of two choices here. Either he has fallen off a cliff, either the ball is affecting him that much, the fouls are affecting them that much, or he just lost his touch. Or there's kind of a bigger issue here and that he's still injured. If you guys remember when he played in the Olympics, he had kind of that rib slash core injury. And the Olympics weren't that long ago. They were like July, August time. So there is a very good chance that that rib or that whatever injury that he had around his core is still bothering him. But nonetheless, he hasn't said anything about it. So I don't want to speculate. But it does start to question a little bit, like how is Dame going to continue to play going forward and if he doesn't get better that suddenly tanks his trade value and now all these trade conversations that we're having about ben simmons jalen brown jason tatum or anyone else it becomes a lot harder for the blazers to get what they want back in return and you know we could have a series of more drama like we have in uh, philadelphia so I'm a little bit worried about Damian Lillard. I'm not going to sound all the alarms yet, but maybe next week, if he's still continuing this trend every single week, we're just going to have to, you know, ramp these talks up just a little bit more. No, definitely. I would probably give it till the end of the month, like up until, you know, that's about three weeks. So just another week more than you'd probably be giving it, but still like, the thing is that with the Blazers, like they need to understand, like once the playoffs start, like, you know how we were kind of just talking about the Celtics as well? Like, they're trying to do this thing with the backcourt that's just not working. Like, with CJ McCollum and Dane, like, this is just a project. It didn't, it's not been working. Like, what's the point in keeping them around? Just blow everything up at this point in time. So, you know, obviously, like, they stand no chance against teams. Like, I think, like, you know, the Clippers look great. They've won six straight. Suns are caught. Like, Suns, Warriors, Clippers, they all have won six straight. Like, these teams are getting it together. The Lakers, when they get LeBron back, they at least have the depth and talent on paper for us to still believe the Lakers should be able to beat the Blazers. But this team just does not look like they're going to be getting out of the first round anytime soon. So based on that, like, yeah, I mean, it's it should be not a matter of if Dame will get traded, but when. That's that's what I have to say on that. The only, yeah, thing, I, the only thing I want to say is, like, the only reason I think they haven't blown it up is is purely a business move. Damian Lillard is is a Showtime player, and he put butts in seats. And as if I'm the president or if I'm the owner of the Blazers, that's the only reason I want to keep this team together, just because I can continue to make money off them. This isn't a championship core. We've seen it for the past five years. And if their goal was to win, they would have blown this up a while back. But they just probably want to continue to make the profit, and that's why this team is the way the team is. I mean, I think the chaos just surrounding the Blazers, like with the investigation to Neil O'Shea, it's just another reason for Dame to be pushed away from Portland at this point, you know, like they're just giving him more and more reasons for him to leave. Obviously his play has been one of them, but you know, this team is just, it's just the same story every year for them. I feel like they can just never get over the hump. And I think it's, you know, at some point Damian Lewis got to look inside the mirror and be like, you know, I gave it all to the city. Maybe some of it was my fault, but I just can't win here. And I got to move on, just progress my career somewhere else. And that might be a conversation we have either, you know, at the trade deadline or maybe next off season. No, certainly. I mean, Teams that aren't, you know, looking like that right now think your guys is Golden State Warriors. I mean, they're the league best right now, rightfully so. I mean, we've been raving about them since day one. Honestly, Steph's literally picked up where he left off last season. And, of course, Yash was, of course, at the Timberwolves and Warriors game this past Wednesday, I believe that was. Sure, Steph didn't go off for 50 or whatever it was, or 40, 45 was the, was the one that he had, right, again, against the Clippers. I believe that that was the no. game that Yash was at. But he has dropped an NBA season high 50 points. No one's done that this season. So that's huge for him. Just reminded us who he is, you know, no biggie, <laughs> the usual with Steph over there. But this team looks so damn good. So damn good. And the reason that I'm so like, I guess out there right now about this team is because like, yeah, like at first I was like, yeah, maybe the Warriors will start a bit slow, but they for sure will be a title contender down stretch right now though. Like, I don't even think they look like title contenders. They look like freaking favorites, honestly, because I've been seeing a lot of buzz. Like, I mean, I'm sure you guys saw like the tweet that I posted on fanalist stories that 
they're talking about Clay Thompson and they're not saying that he's back. Like they're saying that he's back, back, like Clay is back, back. And like, to me, just as a basketball fan, I'm like, wow, like, wow. You guys got Gary Payton, who's a huge role player, by the way, that we will get to, but Steph's playing lights out Jordan Poole, who I believe like give it another six to seven more seasons. He could become like one of the most lethal scorers in the league. You got Draymond Green still a pillar for the defense. Like, and you get clay back. Like it's just, it just feels like family is back. You know what I'm saying? Like that 73 and nine season vibes back. It's you're going back to a time when there was no Kevin Durant. The Kevin Durant phase never happened. I know that they won championships with them, but it's, it's very different. This is the OG warriors group kind of coming together. They're reuniting and it's on the back end of their careers that they're kind of like, let's go make a run at this damn, you know, Larry O'Brien, we're, we're bringing it home. So it, they look so damn good. Yeah, don't get me wrong. When Kevin Durant was on this team, we were just so damn dominant. It was kind of fun to watch the rest of the league cry. But those wins weren't as satisfying. You know, because we're so good, we're supposed to win this season. It just feels like that 2015 season when the Warriors won the first championship, strength in numbers. And all the players Sean just mentioned, he didn't even mention Andrew Wiggins, who had the best game of the year against the Timberwolves, against his former team, posterized Cat not once, but twice. Gary Payton II has been an absolute revelation. He is so good at defense. I think he's averaging the most steals in the NBA per 25 or 36 minutes. He's a vertical threat at 6'3". He can catch almost every single lob that's thrown to him. He knows the Warriors system within like two weeks, which is crazy difficult to do. If you guys aren't familiar with Steve Kerr's motion offense, it's one of the most complicated offenses in NBA history. And Gary Payton has learned it like this. He knows how to pass, move, cut. Steph, Andre, Draymond are finding him for lobs and he's been such a great fit and he was the 15th man on the roster. So you add um, James Wiseman, who we haven't talked about either coming back and they said right around Thanksgiving. So that's in, a, in another two weeks. You have Clay Thompson coming back in later in December, maybe even early January. So I think as a fan, I'm so excited, but even as a basketball analyst, this team is going to be hard to beat. And before Rohan goes, I just want to mention you guys this statistic. I know it's it's only 12 games into the season, but this is one of my favorite statistics this season. The Warriors are the second best offense in the league right now and the best defense in the league, which puts them, which gives them a net rating of plus 13.3. The all-time record for net rating is 13.4 by the 95-96 Chicago Bulls. So the Warriors, as of right now, are the second best rated team of all time. I, I, I don't think they're going to continue this net rating con throughout the entire season, but that does go to show even with the strength of schedule they've had, they are blowing teams out offensively and defensively. So this will be a show to watch. And if you guys aren't watching Warriors basketball, you really are missing out on one of the best teams in the league. Definitely. Definitely. I think there's, yeah, I mean, I, I think people were surprised. Obviously I, I, I knew that we would come off to a hot start just because of how easy our schedule was going forward. Um, but it's just the way that they're winning, which is giving me confidence, you know, like they're demolishing teams. Like there's really not been many times where I'm like, Oh my God, like they just escaped. Like if you watch the Lakers, like the Lakers have had a pretty easy schedule, I would say. And, and a lot of their games have just been like in overtime or, you know, coming down to the last minute, you know, and that would make me worried as a fan, but you know, it's not like that for the Warriors. I think that they've been pretty much dominant um, ever other than that one loss against the Memphis Grizzlies. And then I think this week is going to be a really big test um, you know, you got good teams like the Nets, the Bulls tonight. Um, who else did they even play? I'm like blanking on other teams. But I know that they have a harder schedule these next seven to ten games. And, I mean, I'm just echoing you guys. Like, Gary Payton has honestly been probably the best pickup of the offseason. You know, when they picked Gary Payton over Avery Bradley, I was like, oh, you know, I raised my eyebrow a little bit. I was like, because, you know, Avery Bradley is a proven 3 and D guy in the league. Um, but, you know, Gary Payton has just been phenomenal. I think, you know maybe GP2 to the dunk contest, like the way he's flying around, like it's just absolutely insane. Uh, and I think that their number one, you know, I, I don't know if they're still the best defensive team in the league. It might be either them or the Heat's second. Okay. Um, the, so, Sixers, the Sixers are the best right now. Sixers, okay. I mean, they're still like a top two, top three defense. So that's a big reason for why they're winning. I think Andrew Wiggins having that revenge game against the Timberwolves is such, such a happy moment for me, honestly. It's just so satisfying. Uh, and you know, I mean, this team's just going to get, keep getting better, especially when Clay comes back and we'll see with Wiseman. I'm, I'm honestly looking forward to Wiseman's return as well. Cause that could be very big for this team going forward. 
Yeah, no, so, most certainly. And yeah, Sean, 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 go before ahead, you go, go I just ahead. want to ask Rohan a question. If you guys remember during the off season, we had a conversation of whether or not we trust the Warriors front office. And Rohan uh-huh. had a very emphatic, <laughs> no, I don't. And I want to ask him. Listen, listen, listen. Now, now, now with Bielitsa, <laughs> Otto Porter, Andre Iguodala, Gary Payton, how are you feeling about that Warriors front office? See, there, there's a reason I haven't trusted the Warriors front office because they've had some dumb draft picks, bro. Jacob Evans, Alan Smilogic, even Aaron. I was Pascal, a 30th like, overall pick, man. Hey, but still, bro. Like, there's just there's you can like look at like guys like Terrence Spann, who they found Clippers found in the second round. Like, you can find gems like that. Okay, let me continue. Draymond like, Green. Let, letting yeah, that was that, that was really flexing on a podcast so we don't post video. Like, why? <laughs> but I mean, no, but like think about the moves they made last season, like getting guys like Ubre and Baseball. And there was no reason for me to trust them, you know, like. Steph Curry was the entire engine for this Warriors team last season. And I'm glad though. I'm very happy that the front office got their brain, got their heads out of their ass, bro. And they were like, we're get, we're replacing athleticism for IQ. And that's what they've done with guys like Bielitsa and Otto Porter. Like they're guys who can just come in, shoot the rock, make good decisions. They know where to find Steph Curry. They can set screens properly. Like it's a much different team than having guys like Kelly Oubre and Bazemore, who I don't want to say they weren't playing for the team, but it just seems like they had a negative IQ. Head down to the, no, literally, head down <laughs> to the basket. Like, it was just dumb basketball IQ. I, I mean, shout out to the Warriors front office for doing their job, I guess. I'm not going to give them, like, major props for signing some guys on minimum deals, bro. Like, I mean, you got Nemanja Bielitz on the minimum. He's the second best three-point shooter this season. Otto Porter shooting 50%. I mean, so we, credit we where knew, credit is due. We, we knew that these guys would be good if they're healthy. And, I mean, shout out to them for getting them on these kind of deals. But... I mean, it's just been ever since KD left. I feel like there's definitely was reason to distrust the Warriors front office. You gotta admit it. There was no, 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 I, I don't know. Because the, no. the first season KD left, Steph was injured, Clay was injured, so I don't count that season. And last year, Kelly it's Oubre, not even, it's, it's you not have to remember, Kelly that. Oubre was signed the day Clay Thompson got injured, and the same day that James Wiseman got drafted. All of that happened in one yeah. day. So you can't blame the Warriors front office for draft signing Kelly Oubre. 12 hours after Clay Thompson tore his Achilles. So no, I, don't, I was no, I, yeah. I was happy about the Uber signing because you know I we saw how he played on the Suns and I was like, you know, maybe he can be that guy. But it's really not even like no, he, it's not it's not that, but don't don't get me wrong, like the base more stuff I agree with, but realistically though, like if if Kelly Uber was part of this team, I could I could see him having a decent role. I think that he'd be good. And like Yash was saying, I think that Kelly Uber was put in a situation last year where they were like they were asking more of what he was actually capable of doing, if that makes sense. You know, like they were, because he had to, he was forced to play the minutes. Like you, you, you can't do anything about it, but look at him on the Hornets. Now when he's not that guy, your main number one option where you're relying on him, he can thrive. So it's the same thing about Gary Payton. Like I think Gary Payton's panned out beautifully simply because he started on lower minutes, but he's earned it now he's earned it. And the team wants to give him more minutes just because of his performance. And he understands his role with the team, which is the most important thing. He understands that he's coming in here and he's like, this is Steph's team. This is Draymond's defense. Clay Thompson's going to come back. You got to listen to Clay. Even though Clay's not played in two years, it doesn't matter. Clay's still like definitely one of the most important voices in this organization. So it's just, it's just based on like a lot of things right now. And obviously winning, winning like literally makes everything better. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like winning shuts everyone up. And it just says, look, this is what it is. This is what you're getting. But before you guys do kind of jump in on this a little bit more, Gary Payton, the second has a 34.5 net rating this season, which is the highest by any player averaging 10 or more minutes per game. And the Warriors have outscored opponents by 95 points in the 129 minutes that he has played this year. So his plus minus, I believe, is definitely up there in the league by like a mile i'm sure like it's just it's absurd like he's literally like gosh saying he's clamping down opponents he's doing his thing and then on offense it's like the dude's literally flying man like i've not seen like emphatic slams like this from anyone in a long long time no 100 i think that like gary payton has been phenomenal i think that you know we see him steve Kerr literally subs him in at the end of quarters just to get a steal and he's gotten it almost every time he's been subbed in it's it's honestly astounding but I mean, I don't want to be that kind of guy, but can you imagine the team with Lamelo, bro? If Lamelo was on this team, bro, like last yeah. year, even we we would have we would have been past the play-in. I think Lamelo would have been so much better on this team. Like you, I know you have another playmaker. I mean, I, 
I don't even want to get into this discussion, but like that was one of the reasons why I was criticizing the Warriors front office too. Like, first of all, they should have traded the pick. Second of all, they messed up the pick by not taking Lamelo. I feel like, yeah, it's just it's just another. But reason the thing not- is, wait, wait, but but Rohan, but Rohan, here, like think of it like this. Okay, like I'm not even a Warrior fan, but just spitting it out like factually, what do you do when Clay Thompson comes back? I mean, like, what is Lamelo's role? Because Lamelo is a—he's a shooter. He's good. He would have helped you out for the short term. But when Clay comes back, you got an identity crisis right now. You're like, what's your role? What's my role? And like, I, I don't know. I think Steve Kerr is going to take Clay Thompson's side nine out of ten times. But the weird reality ten out of ten, is, ten out of ten. I'm not taking Lamelo over Clay until the he's reason, a superstar. I mean, no, okay, I, I get that, but you also need to put it in perspective. Like, Clay's come back after two years that hypothetically, if Lamelo was on this team, we got to think, like, okay, what if Lamelo obviously was performing better in stride because he's been playing, putting in those minutes longer that Clay will get eased back in the lineup? And then you got to think about will Clay return to 100%? If Clay returns to 100%, he's the second best shooter in the league behind Steph, probably, like realistically. So obviously, that's, that's just a big if. I'm very optimistic on it based on what we've been hearing that Clay is going to return like that. That is why I'm asking, what is going to be Lamelo slash Clay's role then? You're gonna be you're gonna be having issues with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that the Warriors kind of have the depth this year. Like you know, Jordan Poole, Damian Lee have been very like very good players, honestly. Like for the most part, Jordan Poole's kind of been up and down, but we know his potential. And I think that's the big difference between this Warriors team of this year and last year. Like you trust the guys who are the backups. You know, last year, we didn't trust them. When Steph Curry wasn't on the court, I was always holding my breath. Yeah, I I mentioned this on the last podcast too, and it's just been emphasized even more this week as well. Like, there are guys other than Steph Curry who can have a night and the Warriors will still win the game. Steph does not need to drop 30, 35 every night for this team to win, and that's the most encouraging part about this team. And just to kind of close the conversation on LaMelo, I think – we do have to think about Lamelo's a primary ball handler, and we have Steph, we have Draymond, and now technically Jordan Poole. We have three main ball handlers, and even last year, I know Steph plays off ball, and Draymond's kind of the primary ball handler. Him and Steph's chemistry is just so much better than what Lamelo and Steph would have had. Sure, Lamelo might have been just as great, but there's always the if. You don't know what he would have been in the warrior system because the system is so different. It's not a LaMelo, take this ball and do what you want with it. That's what the Hornets are doing because they weren't anybody last year. They're just like, LaMelo, here's the ball and become a good player. Last, And if he was on the Warriors, this is still Steph's team. He wouldn't have had the freedom to do what he wanted and he would have had to defer to Steph Curry almost at all times. Oh, 100%. 100%. Because it puts into perspective, like, yeah, the dude is a great scorer. He's a lethal option at scoring, but think of it like this when he when he's driving in because the warriors are a team that like they like to drive it in boom kick it out a step in the wing you get what i'm saying that when Lamelo can do that or like even if he has the open look from three i don't care who you are if you're playing with Steph, you're like there's a better three-point shooter on this team and i should probably look at where he is on the floor right now before i attempt the three because it doesn't matter how confident you are the only player, the only player that I will say, sure, take the three over Steph is Clay. Is Clay, honestly, because just they've been together for so long. They understand the players that they are. And Steve Kerr knows that. The team knows that. The, the team will also make peace with it. But if they see a younger guy like Lamelo or anyone else come in, be a free agency, whoever it may be, they are going to have rifts where they're going to be like, yo, you got to look at Steph. You got to do this. You got to do that. With Clay coming back, they're going to be like, keep shooting, bro. You know, keep shooting. If you got the look, keep shooting it. So that's the reality of it. The Warriors are just they're they're a home, they're a home team type thing. You know what I'm saying? When they nailed those drafts through the years of Steph, Draymond, Clay, like they know how to keep their talent, homegrown talent. It is what it is. So they know what they got. And now these additions that they've made in free agency, again, they're a bunch of role players. But as long as these guys are healthy down the stretch. Golden State is probably going to be going to the NBA Finals, and I would love to see a matchup against a team like, you know, the Bulls or the Sixers because, again, I'm not really riding high on the Nets right now, and I understand we're just 10 games in, whatever it is, but that's that, that's how I'm looking at it. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, not much else for me about the Warriors. Should we talk about the Lakers? I mean, people criticize the Warriors for having the easiest schedule in the league. The, the Lakers have had the third easiest schedule in the league. And unlike the Warriors, they're not winning those games. They're only seven and five. So I think not like kind of 
taking away anything from what the Warriors have done. The Lakers need to step up their game because their schedule is going to get just as hard as the Warriors has been. And now that LeBron's out for, you know, quote unquote, a foreseeable for the foreseeable future, because we have a timeline that's what, what was it? Four to six weeks. But then they also said yes. it could be shorter, but yeah. there's no definitive time. And it's time for Anthony Davis to take that lead role. Russell Westbrook needs to, you know, get on his ass and become better. Carmelo has been great. Carmelo Anthony has been the bright spot of the Los Angeles Lakers this year. And now it's time to put it all together. And Russell Westbrook needs to realize what he is good at, what he is bad at, and stick to those things that he's good. And those things are playmaking, rebounding, getting into the paint, driving. He was missing dunks for the first time, which I've... If Russell Westbrook is missing dunks, I'm extremely worried. If he's missing (laughs) threes, we know he misses threes. That's not a big deal. He just needs to stop chucking them up. But once he starts missing dunks, that's when, as a Lakers fan or just as as a Russell Westbrook fan, I start being really worried. No, most certainly, and I, I agree. But I think that it's also worth noting that Malik Monk really showed up and showed out in the last game, so that could be someone to keep an eye on. More minutes, more shots for him, possibly. But I agree. I mean, Russell Westbrook, wherever he goes, it almost seems like it's it's a project, and I I do think that he has gotten a little bit unlucky the last couple of seasons. Like, don't get me wrong. I know that wherever he's gone, it's been, it's been not exactly sunshine and rainbows throughout everything, but keep in mind, he went one year in Houston, jump ship, went one year in Washington, jump ship. Now he's in LA after, and that was after 11 season OKC. When you go back to his time in OKC, there were, I would say there were more, bright spots than low spots, quite frankly. And I don't know if that's the biased fan of me talking about OKC. I know it didn't end in a championship run, quite frankly, even great looking playoff runs. It really did not end well for the team, but holistically from his standpoint, his career, I feel like he did what he needed to do in OKC. Yeah. He didn't make some of the shots in the playoffs, but that is what it is. When you look at his last two playoff runs with the last two teams, I don't agree that it is a fair and accurate sample size simply because it's a new team, new system, new year that he was still figuring himself out. But I will agree with you guys in terms of wherever he goes, the team tends to struggle. And that is just the sad reality of it. Again, I'm going to go back to still saying that we're early on in the season, you know, a couple games in that there is time, but there isn't time, if that makes sense. Because they got to figure this stuff out fast. So there will be a cutoff date for me. Believe me on that. I'm kind of just going to give it the next three weeks, see how these splits go. They definitely for sure need to be like well above 0.500 over the next course of however long. I think that they need to just put their head down, win some games, stick to the basics, and figure it out from there. Because I, I think LeBron is going to be out for – at least the next three weeks to a month, maybe. And that's a low ball in it based on the reports that we've seen. Yeah, I mean, the reports have been like so on and off. Like I saw, you know, we were saying like one reporter said one to two weeks, another reporter saying four to eight weeks. So it's a mystery when LeBron is going to come back for the team. But I think the concerning part is, you know, they are winning some of these games, like give them credit, but it's the way that they're winning. Like, like I said, it, when we were discussing the Warriors, it's just very close games towards the end where you're like the Lakers are up by like 10, 15, and then it comes down to the last minute and they're only up by three or four, you know, it's just very stressful as a Lakers fan. I imagine like, you know, if I were a Lakers fan watching this game, I'd be like, why can't they close out against some of these weaker teams? Like, you know, the Hornets or even the, they lost the Blazers, but then they beat the Hornets in overtime, you know, but it was just, it shouldn't have been that hard. And I know the Hornets are a young and upcoming team, but this is a team full of seasoned veterans who should be able to beat younger teams like this on a night-to-night basis and not have to struggle for wins like this. You know, I know they beat the Heat. Russell Westbrook played well for the most part, but he did have eight turnovers. That's another part where I'm extremely concerned about because he's turning the ball over at a historic rate. I think he's close to like five and a half, six turnovers per game, which is very, very bad. I don't know. I'm That's like a historic, historic record on that he's on pace for. So he needs to just calm down and slow down the pace. I know that's not how the way he plays, but it might be better for the team and you know, where's AD, bro? Like, AD needs to take over this team. I've been saying it for months now. I've mentioned it on the last two podcasts, at least for sure. And AD needs to be the number one player for this team for them to consistently win. And I think this next, like you said, Sean, I think until December 1st, I'll give it to them. Like, they really need to prove it to me, the rest of the league, you know, us as analysts. Like, they need to prove that they're still a championship connecting team with or without LeBron because they still have two if you want to call Westbrook too, elite players in Anthony Davis and Westbrook. 
you know, and seasoned veterans all around them, and they need to prove that they can win against even some of these you know, mid-ish teams. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But so far, it's not, it's not uh, looking great for Lakers. Those worries that we had about the Lakers in the offseason are, you know, starting to come true. They're not great at shooting. Their offensive rating is in the bottom, I think, 12 or 10 in the league. So their scoring isn't great. Their defense is, it's all right, but their net rating because of their lack of offense is in the negatives right now. And as Rohan said, I know they're squeaking out some of these games, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that their schedule has been so easy. And once they get into some of those tougher opponents, we're going to have to see how they're going to be able to pull it out. Because if LeBron's not playing, you're going to need Anthony Davis Carmelo Anthony or Russell Westbrook to close it out for you. And I don't know, based on what I've watched with Russ, I don't know if I trust him to do that. Anthony Davis has been kind of on and off. He's been like, not bad, but he hasn't been off the charts like we usually know Anthony Davis to be. So he's going to have to step it up. And Carmelo, as great as he's been, they don't give him the ball enough. And I think if they start deferring to him more in the clutch, that that might solve some of their problems. But it's, it's, it's kind of worrying that their offense isn't as great as it should be. I know LeBron James not being there for a lot of these games has to do with probably a lot of it, you know, just because he's LeBron James. But the fact that he's going to be gone for a while doesn't solve any of these problems. No, I totally agree with that. And the, the weird reality of it is that Russell Westbrook, the reason that he needs to figure this stuff out really, really fast is because LeBron's coming. Like, I don't know when that's going to be, but he is coming back. And when he comes back, you need to know what your role is. Because believe me on this, when LeBron comes back, this team still doesn't know who's doing what. They cannot coexist together. They cannot coexist together. And like this kind of brings us back to like that report that we've been seeing earlier in the offseason when the Lakers, Westbrook was their third choice. They were trying to go after Dame. They were trying to go after Bradley Beal potentially. And they settled. it's almost like they settled for Russell Westbrook because they're like, hey, oh, that's a good name. That's a good star player. Let's bring him to Los Angeles. Huge market. Let's go win. That's really not translated to wins exactly, but we'll see how they look down the stretch. But, um, of course, I did want to touch up on the other Clipper team before we do close out, the Los Angeles Clippers. So they look, they look amazing as per usual. You know, Paul George, we've been raving about him a lot. But what I wanted to highlight about this team is that they have won six straight. So they're coming in hot. They look good, but they do also have a fairly, I don't want to say tough schedule, but it's its looking kind of gutsy down the stairs, looking a little bit dicey. They got some tests coming up. They got the Timberwolves, should be an easy breeze. But from there, they got the Bulls, the Spurs, the Grizzlies, Pelicans, the Mavericks in back-to-back, the Pistons. Then they got the Warriors. And I think that November 28th matchup towards the end of the month, we're going to get a much more better understanding of where these two teams are because I think that the Clippers and the Warriors could be in contention for those top three seeds, quite frankly, the way that things are going to be going. We don't know when Kawhi Leonard is going to come back, but that's what I love about the Clippers and the Warriors this year because they have one star player that's coming back. So just as good as these two teams have been, there is always room for improvement and it's on your roster. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, the Clippers are, um, they've been playing absolutely out of their shoes. I think they're on a five, six game win streak right now. They had a comeback, I think last night or two nights ago. So the Clippers are playing amazing. And like Sham just said, their schedule does get a little bit tough. So we'll see how good they actually are. And we've used this excuse for almost every team in the league that it's early. So I don't want to give them too much praise because I do want to see how they're able to flatten themselves out because they started slow and now they've gotten hot. So how are they able to manage their ups and downs throughout the season? Um, Paul George has cooled down considerably from when we talked last time. He came down to earth. Like I came down to earth. Yeah, he came down to earth again. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna see. I think Terrence Mann's played pretty good. Reggie Jackson has been um great for them. He's averaging 18 points, which I actually didn't even realize that he's he's been their second best scorer. So if they can continue that, I think they can make some noise in the East. But I don't agree with Sean that they, they can fight for the top three seed. That just seems a little bit high for a team without a second star. I think in this league, you do need that second real star. Like the Jazz have Gobert and Mitchell. The Suns have Booker and Paul. The Warriors are one of the few exceptions, but they do have Clay coming back pretty soon. And I guess the Mavericks, Luka is just Luka, so I'm not going to like take away from that but the Clippers probably where they are at right now at six 
is probably where they're going to float around for most of the season between that four to eight seed. I think their goal should be to avoid the play-in at all costs so they can face a good team in the first round. And that's probably what their eventual goal should be this season. Yeah, I mean, the Clippers, they bounced back and they bounced back really well. You know, they started off really ugly with the one and four start. And I think that Luke Kennard has been phenomenal, shooting 47% from three. Uh, Terrence Mann has been filling in the gaps as well. And they've been outscoring their opponents by 17 points per 100 possessions with both Kennard and Mann on the floor. So and that's, what, that's what the Clippers were hoping for. Like when Kawhi goes down, we need some guys to step up. And that's really been the case so far with Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard. And I think that they're just going to keep doing that, hopefully, because Paul George needs all the help he can. He, I don't think you can expect him to carry a team like as good as he is. You know, like you can't expect him to drop 35 a night. You know, like same with Steph. Like even when Steph was dropping that, like it was just so hard for this Warriors team to continually pull together wins last season when he was just going ballistic. And the Clippers don't want to be in that same situation, which I think they, they could find themselves in if, you know, guys like Terrence Mann, Reggie Jackson, and Luke Kennard start struggling. Um, but, you know, they better hope that they don't, like, face the Nuggets again in the playoffs. But, like, Jokic seemed a little mad a couple of nights ago. So, I mean, he, yeah. he, might, he might be feeling that. <laughs> no, definitely. But, I mean, I, I I would disagree with you in terms of how you said, like, you can't depend on Paul George to, you know, score 35 a night and stuff. Because the only reason that I would say yes is because he's that number one option. I think that we were talking about this earlier when Kawhi Leonard's off the court. Like, he's indubitably the number one option. When Kawhi does come back, like, Yash would obviously say that coin term, he's going to return back down to earth just a little bit. But, um, I mean, that, that, that's the reality of it. His stats are going to deteriorate because he's not going to be shooting the ball as much. He's not going to be touching the ball as much. That Obviously, everything's going to suffer just a little bit, but he can be just as efficient. But right now, he has had crazy games. You know, he's had two 40-point games already two other 30 point games and usually otherwise you know he's given at least 20 25 a night which is pretty solid you, you really can't ask for more from a guy like Paul George at this point in time but you know overall we're gonna we're gonna see how you know these teams kind of wrap up towards the next couple weeks honestly and obviously towards the end of the season they look very very promising down the stretch but I'd say I mean that's that's all that we got for you guys i mean unless you guys want to add a little bit something over here just real quick about the clippers i mean is it safe to assume that Kawhi Leonard is not going to play this year like we know he takes his time with his recoveries and i think that you know sean you're saying three seed i kind of agree with yash there i think like it's going to be very hard for them to get three seed and we know Kawhi is not going to be there for the entire regular season um but you know i was just wondering like do you do you guys expect him to play this season because i honestly do not even in the even in the playoffs unless they somehow make a deep run and he's just really motivated to come back but we know he takes his time with his recovery. Like we saw that with his time with the Spurs. I think that all depends on the success of the Clippers. There were actually some reports I saw maybe a week or two ago that there, he won, he was aiming for like right after the All-Star break, which seems very early for an ACL. I think that's what he had. So I, I, I think he will play this season, but that will be towards the very latter end of the regular season or the first round, second round in the playoffs. Again, like Rohan just said, it depends on how deep the Clippers go. Obviously, if the first round exit, we might not see Kawhi at all. If they're a, if they're like a top five seed or top four seed, and they're in like the second round or maybe even the conference finals, then we definitely probably will see Kawhi Leonard just come out and lead the Clippers to some form of a run. No, I hundred percent agree. It all just depends on how the Clippers' success will be towards the end of the year because it's kind of like you know if you're sitting at the bottom of the pits in, in the Western Conference, like. Good enough to make the playoffs, obviously, but just look like a first round exit, second run at best. It's, you know, why rush back at that point in time? But again, they have one six straight. They're just they're just as hot as the Warriors, but not as good. You know, you get what I'm saying. Like, it's obviously the record doesn't show for it, but they've won six straight. And I mean, I, I like what I see from this team. They're seven and three in their last 10. So there's no reason for me to believe that why this team should not continue their regular season success. And why Kawhi should not come back, but hopefully, hopefully they do make a deep enough run to, you know, do some damage. But, you know, I mean, other than that, of course, Golden State, I guarantee you probably the next time we're doing this podcast, they're still going to be the number one seed because they're playing lights out at this point in time. Wizards, they're probably not going to be the first seed anymore. I think we all are kind of pushing for the Bulls to oh, be no, first Sean, seed. Sean gives a guarantee. So hopefully these aren't like the Charles Barkley. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't, I don't want to mess up your guys' <laughs> hopes, but even, even just remember if, if, if 
things go south from here, that's not because of me. It's because Yash probably did not go to any Warrior games. So please uh, keep sending him there. That's why. Honestly, if we, yo, if we send Yash to a Warrior game, like we're guaranteed someone's going to have a 40-point game because like Ant had I mean, like 48. We, we, yeah, we didn't mention Ant, but he so, almost dropped 50 that night. And I was, yeah, I was, like, I was scared because he yeah. was on one exactly like the thing is that like yeah we we can't guarantee that they will be on the opposing team of the warriors or on the warriors but andrew wiggins did come through had a season high that night looked great gary payton of course great stuff so warriors ultimately got the win but that's what matters so yash is right now two and oh in chase center so that's great we, we started that gofundme for yash yet or is it too early? i don't know it's still, it's people. I'm sure people are still like, hey, it's only a two game sandwich. But maybe, maybe Yash's statistics, whatever the fuck is, you know, like you go to say, like, two, he's two and oh right now. But he's going to return back down to earth. He's going to return back down to earth. See, my statistics bit. won't return back down to earth like everyone else's. I'm just built right, different. We'll see. Okay. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. I'm all for it. We'll get a nice 10 game split with Yash and then we'll start funding him, send him out there. You know, we're like a fanalist stop pod sign or something. <laughs> but advertising at the Warriors arena <laughs> right right i mean that's what we need to do but you know that's all that we got for you guys today always a pleasure to be joined by yash and rohan on these nba podcasts hope you guys enjoyed today's episode i liked it of course you know despite the blasphemy of ben simmons and jalen Brown, i'm so sorry rohan i just had to but that's all that we got for you guys today stay tuned for more at the panels dot pod episodes coming out weekly for nba on fridays and nfl's on tuesday